All right. So this morning, I am going to be wrapping up our King series. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm supposed to cough later in my talk. But uh, what I did to prepare for this weekend was I went back and I read the first message that I did when I kicked the series off. And one of the key points of that message, um, and we've touched on it a bit as we've gone through this series, one of the key points was as we read through these stories and look at the lives of all these kings, that it's gonna be an opportunity for all of us, and if you remember this, the way I phrase it, to stand in front of the mirror of God's word. Do you remember that? I see, I see three heads nodding, that's always encouraging. No, I saw more than three, <clears throat> at least seven. But, but what I mean is that we would stand, not alone, but we'd stand with God and, and just let, you know, let the, like I'm standing in front of a mirror, let him, you know, sort of look at our lives and just point out anything in us that, that you know, may be stripping us up or whatever. And, and you know, you think about in, in, in Hebrews 4, it talks about the Bible this way, that the word of God is what? Is living and active. And there's something about the Bible where as we read it, it actually reads us. Uh, one of the scriptures I quoted in that first sermon was Psalm uh, 139.23. It says this. It's this prayer of investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. It's that standing in front of the mirror of God's word. Lord, just take a look. Look me over. And when, in, in, my, in the sermon, in the kickoff sermon for this series, I ended with this sentence. Here's how I ended it. So all I ask of you, you, is to come with an open mind an open heart and an expectation of God working in your life. So as we uh, wrap up this series, let me ask you a question. And I know if you're visiting today, this is maybe in a, you know, not a fair question, but how has God been working in your life? How, you know, as we've been going through this series, looking at all these kings, uh, what's been highlighted for you? Right, we've looked at lots of different themes and some of the themes we looked at uh, last weekend, Andrew looked at, did a great job looking at the whole thing of influence and leadership. And if you didn't hear that sermon, it's uh, on our podcast or we've got free CDs out at the info counter you can pick up as you leave. But basically, you know, there's been this theme of we're all influencers and that each one of us have the opportunity to lead or influence other people by the way we, we live our lives. Another theme has been the necessity of good counsel, that we all need, not lots of people, but we all need someone in our lives that we let in, right? We all need someone who can step into our lives and speak truth to us who can get in our faces and point us to Jesus. Another theme has been the, and I touched on this a couple weeks ago, the reality of our ongoing neediness for God. And if you remember that sermon, I, I said, you know, if you're gonna follow Jesus, you need to get comfortable with always being in kindergarten. 10 points, Shalon, wow, 10 church points. I don't know what, woo it's like the price is right this morning. But you, but you need to get used to being in kindergarten. Uh, the, another theme that we've seen all throughout this series is the theme of pride. How many of these kings literally tripped over themselves and it blew their lives up? It caused uh, great damage. So let me ask you again, what did God highlight for you? What was the area that just went uh, when you heard it? Because here's the thing, we need to pay attention, we need to be responsive when God puts his finger on something in our lives because I promise you this, whatever God, if God is leaning into a part of your life, he's leaning into it for your good, right? He's leaning, he's either, you know, he's either setting you free from something that is tying you down or getting in the way of you becoming the man or woman he's always intended you to be. Or he's putting his finger on something that he knows is gonna do damage in your life down the road. And so because he loves you, he's putting his finger on it. Uh, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so as we wrap this series up, I wanna you know, remind you again, what did he highlight? 
don't just discard it and move on to the next series or you know, just let it go because all throughout this series we've been seeing God come to these different kings and he's come to them with correction, he's come to them with guidance, he's come in very clear personal ways to these kings and said hey here's what I wanna do in your life or how I wanna work through your life and what have we seen all the way through? The way they responded to God leaning into their lives totally determined their future, didn't it? Well it's the same for us. So uh, this morning as we wrap up this series, I'm gonna be looking at uh, the last good king of Judah and his name is Josiah. So let's pray and then we're gonna jump in and look at uh, Josiah's life. Let's pray. So Lord, uh, thank you for another opportunity to gather together. Thank you for another Sunday. Lord, I, uh, all through worship, I just was so, there's just a strong sense of your presence the strong sense of your love in the room. That you aren't some distant God, but you're with us. And I pray today, Lord, that you would be super personal. Lord, if it's, if it's all true, that means you know us and you're working in all of our lives because you know what you've made us for. And I pray today that you would be incredibly personal with each one here, way beyond my words. We just welcome you here in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Second uh, Chronicles 34, and I'm going to be jumping around a lot, uh, not literally, <laughs> well, maybe a little bit, but, uh, but as you can see in your notes, what I'm going to be focusing in on today is uh, three consistencies that we see, uh, and we've seen all throughout this series, and, and these are three consistencies of both the human heart and three consistencies of just the ways of God. Uh, you know, what was true then is still true now. So 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1 says this. Here we go. Verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. Okay, I'll stop there. Now, number one in your notes, again, we're looking at three consistencies. Number one in your notes is the consistency of God working through people. Okay, what was true then is true now. The consistency of God working through people, and, and you know, as as we kick off this story, we're looking at this, this King Josiah. Well, right away we see at the age of eight, he becomes king. Now imagine that, he's eight years old and he's, he's been crowned the king and it's like, you know, Josiah, we're going to war. Well, will there, will there be ice cream? Yes, there's gonna be ice cream. Yeah. Well, let's go to war. You know, it's like he's eight, he's eight years old. And I mean, talk about vulnerable, talk about, you know, easy prey for people to manipulate and mislead this boy. And, and then don't forget, if you've been reading along in this series, whether it's in you know, Kings or Chronicles, and they really do, they parallel each other. If you've been reading along, you know that you know, he was crowned king at a time in, in Israel's history that it was literally a cesspool spiritually. Right? And what I mean is this, last weekend again, Andrew looked at this great king, Hezekiah, and he, uh, he did all these incredible reforms. And what I mean is he cleaned up the land. He cleaned it up of all the pagan worship and all these pagan priests and all these instruments of, of, of worship you know, for other gods. And he cleaned it all up. And he did this amazing work. And that was great until he died and his boy Manasseh just ran the other way. Right? And this Manasseh went just off the charts evil. I mean, he brought all the stuff his father had just cleaned up. It's like, you know, they emptied the, the basement and he brought it all back into the house, you know, and they, and literally he went so far as to bring uh, pagan idols and altars into the temple. I mean, how would you respond if we started to put like Hindu gods or, you know, a Buddha sitting behind me? Right, it would, be, it would be, I mean, it's like, what is going on? And, and then, uh, actually, just credit out to Manasseh, near the end of his life, he did try to turn things around, but, but very soon after he died, his boy, Amon, who is Josiah's father, he took over and he just went, again, running off in a direction of evil, uh, uh, and where uh, he lasted two years, and then he was assassinated. And so it's into this both political mess, but especially this, this spiritual mess, 
that this eight-year-old boy is crowned king. And so looking at that, you know, that context, what jumped out at me was verse three, where it says, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, while Josiah was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So eight years into his reign, now he's a 16-year-old young man. And, and why that jumped out at me is I'm thinking, how is it possible that he's eight years old, he's, he's crowned, he's been raised in just a spiritual cesspool, right? He's been raised within the palace in a culture where everything is just moving away from God. How is it possible that this eight-year-old boy, eight years in that, uh, you know, environment, that when he's 16, suddenly some, he starts to seek after God, right? So and that tells me that somebody somebody was speaking into this boy's life. And I said earlier how uh, Kings and chronicle, uh, Chronicles parallel each other. And this story that we're looking at in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 34 is also in 2 Kings 22. And in Kings, they actually mention Josiah's mother. And get this, her name is Jedidah, and her name means darling of Jehovah. Isn't that a beautiful name? I mean, someone's gotta bring that back. But... But the reality of that is, and what, you know, while Amon, his father, was evil, he was just, you know, on a tangent away from God, a lot of the commentaries believe that this woman, Jedidah, in the midst of just a cesspool spiritually, this woman stood her ground. And she was a godly presence uh, uh, in, in the life of Josiah that she greatly influenced this boy. And, and, and what we see all throughout the Bible and, and all throughout the history of the church is this consistent theme that God, uh, more often than not, than not, does his work in people through people. We see it over and over and over and over again. And I don't know about you, but sometimes my, this is where my mind goes when I think about the work of God. And what I mean is just seven billion plus people on planet Earth, his plan is to rescue everyone from the power of sin and to bring them back into a relationship with their maker. That's what we were made for. And I don't know if you, your mind ever goes here, but sometimes I, I sort, of will sort of look at God and I'll think, why don't you just do it yourself? I mean, I don't mean it disrespectfully, but like, why don't you just do it yourself? I mean, you're God. It would be like, clap on, clap off, it's done, right? Everybody knows you now. I mean, it just, he could do it so quickly. It would be way more, uh, you know, productive, way more efficient, way more German. I mean, it would just be, uh, just, it would get done so much quicker. And I always imagine, and maybe I'll get in trouble when I get to heaven, but I always imagine, remember when Jesus, he ascends up to heaven, right? He's finished his, his work on earth, and just as he's you know, sort of lifting off the ground, I always picture him looking at his disciples and followers, and he's saying, now you, you, know, you continue the work that I have started. And I, I sometimes wonder if Jesus, as he's you know, ascending up in the skies, if he's looking down going, I don't know if this is gonna work. You know, like, like there's Peter, you know, it's like, and Peter's like in heaven going, yeah, yeah, you keep going, preacher boy. I'll see you when we get to heaven. Poor Peter, we always beat up on him. But I mean, I wonder if he ever had second thoughts. Like, look at what I'm working with. Well, the truth is he never had second thoughts because it's always been his plan to work through, through us, right? To do this work in people, through people. And, you know, the story that came to my mind was, remember uh, in Acts, the apostle Paul, he's like, uh, you know, other other than Jesus, he would be the key figure of the New Testament. And he's this prolific teacher, this prolific church planter. I mean, just incredibly used of God. And, uh, and before he was doing that, though, he was a prolific persecutor of the church. If you remember his story, I mean, he was, he was going against the church and all these you know, followers of Jesus. And if you remember the story in Acts 9, Paul's riding his horse and there's other people with him and he's going towards, uh, I think it was Damascus. And he's going there to persecute the church. He's going there to, you know, kick in doors and drag these Christians into jail or do whatever he was gonna do. And as he's riding along, you know, suddenly this bright light shines from heaven and it's Jesus. And it literally knocks him off his horse and he falls to the ground and he's blinded. He's blinded by the light, as the song says. But he's blinded and what happens in the story is Jesus just starts talking to him. And they, if you're familiar with the story, they literally are having a conversation back and forth. And the conversation ends off with Jesus looking at Paul or saying to Paul, now get up, go into town, and, I will, uh, and you'll be told what you must do. So there's that going on at the same time in Damascus, the city. 
Jesus is able to do this, he's talking to this man, this Christian man named Ananias. And he basically comes to Ananias and says, hey, Ananias, and I mean, this, isn't, this is paraphrased. Hey, Ananias, I want you to take a message to this guy, Paul. And I not only want you to bring him a message, I want you to pray for him because he's blind. And I want you to pray for him to receive his sight. And as I was thinking about that, right at that point, my mind sort of went, wait a minute. Why did God have to get Ananias involved? Like, think about that. I mean, he's already established, you know, this, this conversation. He's already got with Paul. He's already got Paul's attention. I mean, it's like, come on, Jesus, if you want to get it done right, why don't you just keep doing what you're doing with Paul? And here's the thing. God showed Paul and Ananias that he was, through, this, through uh, getting Ananias involved, God showed Paul that he was both a personal God, he's a personal God that can come and speak to us individually, but he's also a God who loves to work through people. And the message that Ananias brought and the way it was bought, b- brought really set the tone for Paul's ministry. Because if you look at Paul's life, it's really a reflection of, of, of that time with Ananias. And what I mean is this, Ananias goes to Paul and he goes to Paul with a message from God. And he speaks the message of God to, to Paul and then he lays hands on him and he prays for him and the power of God touches Paul and heals him. Well, what does Paul do for the rest of his life on planet Earth? He really just goes from town to town and he says this over and over, I have been given a message from God. And he just goes and speaks the message. And then you see him always, almost always following it up with a demonstration of the love and power of God. And he's just, there's incredible healings that follow this, uh, this man, Paul. And so we see this, you know, the, the way that God worked, it was both good for Paul it set the tone for his life, and it was good for Ananias. We don't know much about Ananias after that, but I guarantee it changed something in this man. And so let me, let me throw something your way. Even as I'm talking about Paul and Ananias, is there anyone coming to mind? Is there anyone in your life that God has nudged you towards? Like Ananias. Hey, hey, I want you to go bring a message to this person. Hey, hey, you see that guy? You see that gal? I want you to go, you know, show this demonstration to them of my love or my power. Maybe it's a neighbor. I know, I mean, there's some of our neighbors, I mean, I try to pay attention to all our neighbors, but there's this one couple that whenever I see them, I literally feel a, I'm drawn towards them. And, and I've talked, it's not like I haven't talked to them, I've talked to them, I've actually invited them to church and I, you know, I offered to take them out for lunch if they go for church and maybe I need to kick it up a bit. But... Um, but I, as I look at them now, I'm just asking the Lord, well, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Right? Or maybe it's someone at work. Whenever you go into work, there's that guy, that gal, and just, you just feel a, uh, when you see them, there's a nudge from God. Or maybe it's someone in your family, or on and on. We all, we all come in contact with so many people. Well, here's, here's the thing. If God is nudging you, like he did Ananias, if he's nudging you towards another person, I would bet the farm, just like the story about Paul and Ananias, I would bet the farm that if God is nudging you to go to them, that God is already talking to them and preparing them for the message he's giving you or for the, you know, for the demonstration of his love or power. He's getting them ready for you. And so God, again, number one in our notes is that God, there's the consistency of God working through people. He wants to use us. Let's keep, let's keep moving. Number two in your notes. <clears throat> Number two is the consistency of mankind's depravity. Mankind's depravity, right? What was true then is true now. And, you know, as we've gone through this series, we've looked at uh, lots of kings, and there's lots of kings we didn't look at, but if you took the time to go through and sort of get a, a tally, you would see that the majority of the kings were evil. And when I say evil, I mean that they led God's people astray. Right? They led him into, uh, off course into idolatry. And, and uh, what I also notice in all these stories is that it seems to me that the people were more than willing to be led astray. They were just like, they were right there with him. And so as we look at uh, Josiah today, and again, he's the last good king. And what I started off there with the first point, we see you know, him turning to seek God, this young man, and, and, he, and he kicks into this gear of reform. 
right? And it's like, you know, as he's seeking after God, it's like God is stirring in this young man's heart and he's starting to get this sense of, you know, I don't think, I think things are, something is off, right? Something is off in Jerusalem. Something is off here in, in Judah. And, and so he's doing all these reforms again, cleaning up all these, you know, pagan idols and altars and all these different things and just like his, his great-grandfather Hezekiah had done and then he, he turns his focus to the temple, to the glorious temple in Jerusalem and, and literally it's fallen into ruins and so he, you know, he, they raise some money to go in there and work in the temple and as they start the, the renovations, if you will, on the temple, they make this incredible discovery. So let's go to uh, chapter 34, verse 14 says this and again, we're jumping around. Verse 14 says, <clears throat> they were, uh, while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, oh, and by the way, I'm throwing that in, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. Let's stop there. Okay. Now, uh, they're referring to a book and it really would have been uh, a scroll but they, you know, so they find this scroll in the temple and what they're talking about when they say you know, the, the book of the law, it's, it's, it's the first five books of the Old Testament. It's the, it's the Pentateuch. And, and for the king to tear his robes, okay, for the king to tear his robes, it was like a, an, a, this uh, powerful sign of repentance. Something big was going on because here he is, you know, Shaphan, his secretary, just, they get this scroll, they open it up and he just starts to read and a lot of the commentaries that I looked at this uh, said that uh, they figure that the portion that he read would have been in Deuteronomy and, and, and if you're familiar with uh, Deuteronomy, there's lots of, you know, if then, if you do this, then I'll do that, if you, if then. And, and, and literally they're saying that the portion would have been right around Deuteronomy 28, 30 where God, like super clear, sort of like a read my lips, people of Israel, says, if you obey me, you're gonna be blessed and it's gonna be great. But if you disobey me, you'll be cursed and you'll be punished. It was like super clear. And so it, literally as Josiah, this young king, as he's standing in front of the mirror of God's word and he's hearing this, it just cuts him right to the heart and he just goes, oh no, we are so far off base. And so he tears his robes as a sign of, oy vey, as a sign of, oh no, what has happened in Jerusalem, what has happened? And you know, it's a great question to ask, like how is it possible that God's people have wandered so far from him? I mean, you know, I mentioned this earlier. I mean, they're, they're, they're bringing idols into the temple. You know, they're, they're, uh, um, they're, they're literally, it's the fact that they found the book of the law and had sort of this attitude of, hey, what's this? makes you wonder how were they, how were they functioning? How, were, how was worship going on in the church all these years? And what I mean is, could you imagine if for the next 10 years here at this church, uh, all our Bibles just disappeared, we just forgot about them, right? They just become irrele became irrelevant and we thought, ah, we don't really need this and we've got something new, we've been enlightened or whatever. Could you imagine if for years we just continued meeting and we never, never dove into the word of God and then one day someone's cleaning in the you know in a storage area and there's this dusty old book sitting there and someone goes hey hey what's this I mean how is it possible that they've just become so dull and ignorant of the of the things of God because we're not talking about like some you know pagan people group that had no understanding of God I mean the the Jews are a people group unlike any other people group that's ever been on planet earth and what I mean is when God is looking over all humanity, he looks at the Jews and he's going, you, I'm picking you. Of all the people groups, I'm picking you as my chosen people. And I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna reveal myself to you. I'm not gonna be like some distant unknown God. I'm gonna be your father. I mean, even more, I'm gonna be your husband, Israel. Like, that's how intimate 
I want to be with you. I've chosen you. And so then we look at what we're reading today and it's like, how on earth, how is it possible to get from there to where they're just clueless to the ways of God? And when we look at, or when I talk about the consistency of mankind's depravity, one of the areas that I see it over and over in our lives, and it's what we've seen now in the story, is that we are prone to wandering. One of the ways that our depravity shows through, our brokenness in, you know, shows through is that we wander. And that can be in our thoughts, that can be in our, you know, the choices that we make. And does that make sense? We get our affections, we're just so prone to wandering. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, <clears throat> the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, part of the human condition that was true then back in Josiah's day and it's true now is that we all have a heart within us that is set on rebelling against the ways of God. It's why we need a new heart. It's why we need a, an inside change and you know as I was thinking about this just our depravity I was I remembered uh, years ago we uh, got a dog we rescued a dog and I took her to uh, obedience uh, classes, you know, teacher. I don't know if it was for her or for, if it was for me, but I remember being in this class and, and right off the top, we were tr- uh, they were trying to teach us how to get our, keep our dog on a, on a leash and to heal, you know what I mean? And, and uh, you know, to go for a walk. And I remember a few, few classes in, we're going for a walk, we, we're in this parking lot going around and I'm looking at everyone else and their dog is just do-do-do, sort of right beside them. And here I am, my, you know, almost pulling my arm out of the socket. Here's my dog on a 45 degree angle, ah, ah, just pulling. And I'm not exaggerating. I, I mean, I, I, mean I, I wanted to hurt her, but I didn't, I wasn't meaning to hurt her, but she literally was choking herself and throwing up, right? Let's take a look at that. No, but we, we, uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be like, what is the point of that? You know, but, but I'm walking along and, and, and I remember, you know, thinking, looking at her just and, and trying to do all the things and, and, and I remember thinking, what a stupid dog. <laughs> is that okay? Can I say that? All our, but, uh, uh, and, and I remember, I remember in my mind thinking, why don't you just heal? If you would just heal and walk with me, it would be so much better for you and it would be so much better for me. And when I thought that, I remember God sort of nudged me and said, well, what you're seeing, son, is the human condition. That's the depravity of mankind. As soon as he puts a leash on us, as soon as God says, don't do that, what do we do? <laughs> suddenly we want to, <coughs> we, all, we, all, we all get choked up. No, we all, suddenly that is the very thing that we go after. Right, that's the human condition. And so when we look at the people of Israel, you know, if this is where they started with, in relationship with God, it's not like they went from here over to there overnight, did they? It was a step by step by step. It was this slow process of wandering. And, and, but what got them in trouble, because we know it's our nature to wander, but what got them in trouble is this. It was a wandering without looking back. And here's what I mean. God knows our tendency to wander. He knows, like I've been saying, he knows our condition. And so he has literally given us practical, practical uh, means of, of, that give us opportunities to look back. Okay, here's what I mean. So Christian community, right? The, the, what we're doing today, like the church is not this building, the church is us. We are the church. It's this gathering of people. And, and there's, so whether we gather on a weekend, you gather in a small group, or any Christian community that you have, it's one of the, the, the means that God has given us to help us look back. There's just something within that relationship. And what I mean is, you know, as I was working this week, I remember three very distinct times in my life when I was wandering. When I was wandering from God and I was headed in a direction and I wasn't looking back. And in those three times, I can remember three different people, uh, again, within community, within Christian community. One was in a small group, one was in, you know, just a different people like that. They, it was either through a prayer or something that they said that literally, they, they didn't know it, but I sure knew it. When they prayed that or when they said that to me, it stopped me in my tracks and it caused me to, to for, you know, what, something I hadn't done in a long time, it caused me to suddenly look back towards the Lord. And I looked at how far I'd wandered and I had a sense of where I was headed. And it was like, oh no, how did I get here? 
I mean, who's never been in that place where you say something or do something or think something and you go, what is that? Where, you know, how did I ever get from he- there to here? So there's community, there's, there's, there's the power of God's word, right? Whether you, when you read it on your own, hopefully today as you're listening to this, and we see it with Josiah, when, when Shaphan read uh, uh, the, the word of God to him, it created an opportunity for, for him to be sobered up. It just sort of caused him to go, wait a minute, and to look back and to go, oh no, we've wandered. And, uh, or there's prayer, prayer and worship, and prayer is just talking to God. There are two, prayer and worship, what we just did for, you know, at the start of the service, they're two of the primary ways that we connect to God. So whether you're praying on your own, you're praying with other people, or you're worshiping on your own or worshiping with other people, there's something incredibly powerful about prayer and worship because it literally forces us to look back at God. And you get a sense. You get a sense of whether you've wandered. Does that make sense? And, you know, so you may be here today and you may be aware that I've wandered. You may, you know, whether that, that just hits you right now or, or it's been hitting you this week, that, man, I am way off course. I have just, I've wandered without looking back. Here's something that I love about God and the heart of God, that for you to return, right, for you to go home, if you will, what I love about God is he doesn't look at us and go, well, you're gonna have to earn it. You're gonna have to earn your way back to me. You're gonna have to show me that you're really sorry for what you've done or for what you haven't done. That's not God's heart. Really, if you're here today and, and, and you've, you're aware that I've wandered, uh, all you have to do to go home is just turn towards home. That's all you have to do. And so we, we would call that repentance, right? When you become aware, oh, what have I done? How did I get here? I'm sorry, right? It's just a turning towards home. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of the prodigal son. And if you haven't read it in a long time, you know, read it this week. Luke, uh, don't go there yet, Tim, but Luke 15 uh, is where the story's found. And, and if you're not familiar with the story, it's, you know, this talk about a wanderer uh, one of this father, one of his boys, uh, leaves home and wanders off to the city and, and just destroys his life with all these bad choices. And, and then at one point, he comes to his senses and he's basically, how did I get here? What am I doing? And then he turns towards home. And look, look at the father's response. Verse 20 says this, but while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him. And you know, I never get tired of that picture because that tells me that the father was looking for him. The father wasn't off, you know, didn't just, well, that's his problem. He wants to go blow his life up, go blow your life up. He wasn't there. He was constantly looking for this boy. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's the heart of God. If you're here today and you're like, oh, I've wandered, uh, that's what's waiting for you when you turn towards God. He's gonna run to you. You're sitting there in your mess and you're like, I don't even know where to start. And he's like, you don't even, all you have to do is turn towards me. That's where you start. And let me run to you. Like, and I, I mean, I love that it says, and, he, and when he saw him, he was filled with compassion. Because if I was the father in the story, and when he saw him, he thought, oh boy, is he gonna get a whooping? You know, I'm already thinking about how is he gonna pay it back? And I'm so glad that, <laughs> I'm so glad that that's not the heart of God. That if, if you've wandered, this is what's waiting for you. As you turn back, as you turn towards home, embrace a love and a kiss, a welcome. It's just, it's that simple. And what we see all throughout, really all throughout the history of the world, but as we, you know, looking at these kings all throughout the history of Israel, that's all God ever wanted, was just be at home. Just be close to me. Be my son, be my daughter, Israel. That's all he ever wanted. Heal, <laughs> walk with me. Don't keep pulling that's all they ever wanted, but what we've seen over and over and over is just this constant 
you know, again, the depravity, rejection. No, we're going to do, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so that leads to number three in your notes, and it's the consistency, <clears throat> the consistency of God's pursuit. And I just love that picture from the prodigal that he's the running father. He's the father who runs to us. And, you know, we look, we look at... Um, all through Josiah's life, and he's doing all these incredible reforms, and he's really cleaning house, and, and I'm sure he's thinking, or a lot of people in the nation are thinking, hey, you know, maybe we're getting this thing back on track. You know, maybe, maybe we're, we're, you know, we're headed back towards God, and, and it's going to be lollipops and rainbows from now on, and, and, but what's amazing is at the end of chapter 35, uh, and I think pride was the reason, but uh, we won't get into it, but at the end of chapter 35, Josiah, at a pretty young age, gets killed in, in a battle. And what's amazing to me, again, you know, the depravity of man, within a matter of months of this great king's death, like all these reform, all the cleaning house that he's done, within a matter of months, the nation is once again on a decline. The nation, ah, you know, just this once again wandering and running off into idolatry. And literally it goes so far that 20 plus years after Josiah, the Babylonians, uh, the King Nebuchadnezzar, they roll into Jerusalem and they just wipe it out. And they take the people captive. Like think Egypt, but this time they take them captive in uh, Babylon. And it's such a bleak time. You know, where they, I mean, they talk about making a mess. They've just, they've just blown it over and over and over as a people group. At such a bleak, dark time, Yet again, we see the consistency of God's pursuit. At the end of 2 Chronicles, and, uh, we, we, we see where when we come to the end of the book where, where now the Babylonians, where the people of God's people are being held in prisoners, the Babylonians have been wiped out and now the Persians have come in. And, and at that point, uh, we see God's pursuit. Listen to this. This is uh, 2 Chronicles 36, 22. This is the very end of Chronicles. It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so now they've, they've rolled in and taken over, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with them. Now, I've always loved that section because really, <clears throat> two things. It's my first point. God's working through people, right? It wasn't, it wasn't King Cyrus moved in and thought, oh, he just felt for, sorry for these, these people that they had prisoners. It wasn't that. It was God moved his heart God literally, God literally reached down and just went, okay, here's what we're gonna do. And he moved the king's heart. And, and we see that, just that consistent pursuit of God where all this time as his people are rebelling, 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 the undercurrent is him just constantly going after them. And, and you know, the picture I get is he's, he's, he's now literally opened the door for them to go back to Jerusalem. And I just see God looking at his kids going, okay, let's try this again. And off they go back to Jerusalem. And, and really, the story of the Bible is all about God's pursuit. All through the Bible, really, that picture of the running father, we see it over and over and over and over again. Or that picture of the, the shepherd, the good shepherd, who's constantly going out looking for the lost sheep. That's the pursuit of God. And, and what amazes me about God and his pursuit of us is that he is going after us even when we don't want him to come after us. Even when we wish he would just leave us alone, that he still comes, he still pursues us, he still goes after us. And think of the scripture, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that is the ultimate pursuit. Right? While we were yet sinners, while, while you and I were like ignoring him and wanted nothing to do him, his heart towards us was still. I'm coming for you. I love you. I'm not put off by what you're doing. I'm not put off by your arrogance and your foolishness and your, you know, your depravity, your mess. I'm not ashamed, not even angry. 
I'm, I'm pursuing you. And it's this ongoing pursuit. He just never gives up. And I remember <clears throat> one time Danny, uh, Danny and I were meeting with this couple and, um, and they were sharing, they were really distraught. They were sharing they had a child that was wandering. They had a child that was just on the loose and, and making really bad choices and literally blowing their lives up. And they were just, you know, through tears, just sharing that story. And I remember Danny, one of Danny's, Danny's many words of wisdom. I remember he just looked at this couple and he said, he said, uh, hey, just never forget this, that God is more stubborn than your stubborn child, right? God is more stubborn. I mean, I mean, whoever, whoever you're burdened for today, whether it's a child, a spouse, a friend, whoever it is, God is way more stubborn than they are. And he will pursue them. And his pursuit will just, it won't stop. He'll never let up his pursuit of them. And, and so as we wrap up this series you know, again, all through it, we've seen this consistent theme of God working through us. And I hope that's been driven home, that what God wants to do on planet Earth, he, he wants to use us. Everybody in this room has a role to play. The consistent theme of mankind's depravity. Until we get to heaven, we are gonna need God, right? We're gonna need him to cause us to look back, to, to well, I don't want, well, to pull the leash. I'm not sure if I want to go there, but, you know, because that sort of creates a picture of, and maybe that's just in my mind, so I'll keep going. But, uh, but then there's the consistency of God's pursuit, that the, the undercurrent of, of uh, you know, of your life is that God is always pursuing you. The undercurrent, again, of that loved one that your heart's broken over, is, is to pursue them. And let me end off with, I want to read you uh, a, a, an old hymn. And it's called The Love of God. It's by a Frederick Lehman. Let me, let me read this to you. The love, the pursuit of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin in the chorus. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And then verse two says this, when hoary or ancient time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who here refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to, to Adam's race, the saints and angels' song. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure, the saints and angels' song. Before we get to the third verse, uh, I love reading song stories. Like, how did they write this song? And uh, Frederick Lehman, the guy that wrote this song, um, really, I, I, as a songwriter, I would imagine that he received something, something, a note was given to him, and it really sparked this song. And, and before we get to verse three, verse three was literally, um, it, it was written by, it was something that had been found penciled on the wall of a patient's room in an insane asylum. These words were written on the wall. And they didn't discover them till that person died. And then when they went back to clean the room, they found these words written on the wall. Now listen to this, this is verse three. <clears throat> Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. You know, that just gives me such confidence in God for my life, 
for the lives of those that I love and pray for all the time and worry about. And it just gives me such confidence that nothing, nothing, not even insanity, right? Not even a life that we would have all written off as just a waste. Nothing can separate us from the love and pursuit of God. Why don't you stand up? Here's how we're gonna end off today. You know, uh, I said this last night, but I thought it was really interesting that when Pam kicked off leading worship today that she read out of Joel 2 and read read about the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh because uh, in churches all around the world, especially today, they're celebrating Pentecost. Right, it's now 50 days since Easter and it's when we would celebrate when the Holy Spirit was poured out on us and really when the church was started. And I believe God, with, with great confidence, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to pour things out today. He wants to stir things up in our lives and, and one of them was this. One group I want to invite forward, we always leave time at the end to pray for one another and one of the, one of the groups I want to invite forward is as I was reading or talking about the story of Paul and Ananias, you have a desire to share your faith. You have a desire to pray for people and to see them get healed. And we wanna pray for you. We wanna bless that desire that God is stirring up in you, that nudge. We wanna pray for you. We wanna you know, pray for boldness and in a greater awareness of the authority that God has given you as one of his kids. So that's one group. The other group would be... Um, uh, if you're sick today, like we believe that God is here with us and we believe that God loves to heal. It's one of the ways he loves to come close. And as I was praying this week, if you're here today and you have joint pain, whether it's from arthritis or like sports injuries, who, who would that be? You have pain in your joints from arthritis and, or, or sports injuries. Okay, so we especially wanna pray for you. I feel like God has singled you out. But anyone who's sick, in a second here, I'm just gonna invite you forward. We, we believe that God loves to come close and heal. And then uh, another group would just be, if you're here today and you realize you've wandered, well, we wanna pray for you because God is running towards you today, not angry, but with compassion and love for you. And maybe it's for the first time. Maybe you've, you've never gone home to God. Well, today you can go home, go home to him. So, um, Pam's gonna lead us in a song. Uh, whoever that, you know, whoever those words are for, I wanna invite you forward. Those that were sick, we wanna invite you forward. And as people come forward, let's make sure everyone has someone praying for them, guys for guys, gals for gals. And, and all you need to pray today is come Holy Spirit because he knows what to do. He knows what they need. So come on up and let's make sure everyone's prayed for. Come, let us sing. So come, let us sing a song, a song declaring we belong to Jesus. So we'll need, we'll need lots of prayers. Come on up and put a hand on their shoulder. Here's all we need. Lift up. See 
thank you again we thank you for your presence and your presence makes all the difference we thank you for all the ways you're coming close right now for those that are getting prayed for for just for all of us in this room I thank you for all the ways you're coming close and I pray you know as we wrap up this series Lord, I pray that we would not quickly move on we would that we wouldn't be quick to move on from that those areas that you are leaning into Lord, the, uh, the work you're doing in our lives is for our good. I pray that we would take some time just to be quiet with you and listen and dialogue with you about, about this area or this, whatever it is you've put your finger on. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for all these crazy stories in the Old Testament and just how you speak to us through them. Lord, again, we thank you for your presence. I thank you for each one here today. I just pray a blessing over each family, each individual. I ask you to watch over us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.